Hey everyone, this is Lyle and Lawson, your host for the Faith FM Breakfast Show. We are taking a much needed break over the holiday period and we'll be back live with you on the 10th of January. Our amazing producer Shell has put together some of the best and greatest shows from the year that you're going to enjoy revisiting. So stay tuned and listen in and we will be back live very soon. I didn't have time in my hurry today to smile at the folks I met. And I failed to kiss someone as I rushed away and I caused her to worry and fret. I didn't have time to say, how are you? Or note that the weather was fine. Tomorrow, I planned on doing these things, but today, I just didn't have time. I didn't have time to stop with a friend who needed the help I could bring, and I didn't have time, not a moment to spend, where loneliness had left its sting. Didn't have time to visit the sick or give an old panhandler a dime, and I'll wait till tomorrow or maybe next week, but today, I just don't have time. I didn't have time for upbuilding thoughts, not even a moment of prayer. I feel my whole life has gone for naught, and now it's too late to care. But as I walk down life's final mile, and I stand in God's receiving line, I somehow wonder if he just might close the gate and say, uh, remember, you didn't have time. Lawson, what are you thankful for? Oh, oh, you didn't even say Lyle and Lawson. Okay, what am I thankful for? Oh, did I tell you that I only have one point left on my license? Oh, you're thankful to have one point. Yes, <laughs> I am thankful to have one point. And honestly, that point jealously. It's it slowed me down. Yes. I think it's a positive thing. I was driving to work today, and I was just like, you know what? Like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna chill out. I'm just going to listen to listen to my music. This is a very positive just, thing, Lawson. Just drive around, you know, like... How I, long before you get any more points? Um, So I got my full license in 2019, so it'll be next year, I think. Next year you might get, get some, get so my, you, get my, get some you've points gotta, you've back. You've got to survive at least but, a year hey, so on one point. When I went on to my green piece, like at the very start, I carried with me points like a fine from that I got on my red piece and literally the next day got my green piece so that it went on my green piece and the next week I got like a a speeding fine and so I had one point for like two years this is I I love story of your life I love kind of living living on the edge living on the edge I'm I'm kind of enjoying it I'm like well it's a good thing I went down to one point one time for 12 months yeah and it certainly improved my driving Doesn't dramatically. It, and then I got and then I got a speeding fine a week after I got my points back. Classic. Classic. And and I was still driving I was still driving super carefully. I just missed yeah. A, a, a speed sign for about 30 seconds. You know, it's like when and it goes from like a, a 60 to a 50. Because that's like the majority of what I got done for was like less than 10k infringements from um, hidden mobile speed cameras. So Getting stitched up. That's that's yes. the reality of it. I <laughs> uh, just don't go to Victoria. That's where I got done. Driving oh, through Melbourne. So coming up in today's news, we've got an interesting story coming out of the UK mm-hmm. about street preachers. Have you ever done any street preaching, Lawson? Um, Once in my life. and But it wasn't like preaching. It was like walking up to people and talking to them. No, no, I'm talking about standing on a street corner nah, with a microphone. Nah, dude. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs>
That was Simon Korolowski right there with I Wonder As I Wonder. Dude, wild. Just epic that song to like get us started this morning. The soundtrack right there. That's right. It's, it's very much <laughs> See, it. that would be a part of my David and Absalom movie. Okay, as, so now you've got the soundtrack yeah, sorted. Yeah, 100%. Now yes. I just need to cast some actors. Okay. Um, right. Lyle. Yes. You No, you're too old. I'm, I'm too old. No, I'm too old. I was going to say, who are you going to cast I was going to cast you as the soldier that helps Absalom kill himself. Just because, like, it'd be funny. Joab? I'm not too old to be Joab. No, no wait, no. When Absalom is out gets on the battlefield. In, gets caught in the tree. No, I'm thinking of Saul. You're thinking Okay, oh. yeah, yeah. Actually, you can be. Actually, you can <laughs> no, be Joab. Joab. You can be Joab, I dude. Am not you can Joab. be some ruthless dude. All right, let's have some positively different news, Lawson. Positively different news right across Australia. Well, right across the world. So we, um, I talked a couple of weeks ago about how like Walmart were going to step in and pay like all of its, you know, employees tuition to go to university. They had pumped like a billion dollars into a program that would allow them to do that. Um, now it seems like this has become a bit of a, a, a race for employment in the United States. Who has the best, um, university free free university program because target has stepped up and done the exact same thing they're now um investing 200 million dollars are these guys struggling to get employees or something i don't well you wouldn't think so right i i think the reality is for the companies this big is that they want the biggest monopoly that they can get and you can like once you're this big and you're making this much money i think the only thing restricting you is your reach like that you just you just need more and more people to work for you so that you can exist in more and more places. Like that's the goal at this point because they're making money. They're hugely successful companies. And so they just want to dominate the market. And they're like, okay, if we can get more employees on board and build more targets or Walmart or whatever it be, because we promised them, you know, cheap or free tuition. Well, it seems like they're going to do it. So yeah, with target now, uh, $200 million is going into this program. Basically um, they've kind of, created a curriculum of like 250 different business aligned degrees. Um, so things that will help target essentially um, in 40 different schools. This is different to the Walmart one because Walmart kind of was a little bit more broad in what you could do, but there was like six different schools you could go to. Whereas this is 250 specific degrees um, in 40 different schools. It's not just degrees either. It's like high school level, like diploma stuff, um, business, you know, trade school stuff. Like there's a, a bunch of different things you can do. Um, and they're like, if you're doing a non-master's program, uh, you know, degree, something like that, uh, they'll offer 500, uh, f- sorry, 5,000 and five, 5,000, wait. Five two five zero. How do I say that? Five thousand two hundred and fifty dollars. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So, so five thousand two hundred fifty dollars um, towards your uh, towards your t- tuition. If you're in a master's program, they'll give you ten thousand bucks and like a year annually. And uh, apparently, for them, this is this is gonna give them like if you do one of their programs, this will mean that you'll have a free college degree. It's very interesting. I wonder, I I really do wonder at the motivation behind all of this. Dude, because I think for, like, so they're offering this to to part-time and full-time workers. I wonder if there's some kind of contract that you have to sign or something, right? Because it's like, this is a serious amount of money to pump into, into someone for them to just leave. Which I, you know, which I would think is like the expectation if you're working at Walmart or Target. Of course, if you get up to upper management and you're earning good money, like then you wouldn't want to leave. I, I'm kind of wondering whether this is large corporations investing in social change. Mm. Ooh, that's a that's interesting a thought. thought. It is a thought. It is an interesting thought because there is nothing more powerful in education in the world mm-hmm. because of its power to create social change. And we know that the universities are creating, are actively and aggressively creating social change. Mm -hmm. Do we have big corporations pushing that? It sort of goes along with the story I was sharing yesterday where the uh, Texas government was trying to create protections for children 
from you know uh, from from having their gender changed mm. as children, and the big corporations stepping in and trying to boycott it and to force the Texas government from not passing that legislation. Mm. So we know that big corporations are actively campaigning for social change, and I I just wonder. Yeah, I, I my thought in this case as well is that if because the 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 debt problem the the education debt problem in America is massive. There's currently a 1.7 trillion dollar student loan debt um, that exists, and if you have big corporations kind of making it possible for um, people to be able to go to uni debt free, which is such a big problem. Like in in Australia, we have HEX, right, or fee help or whatever it may be. And then you're in debt to the government. So you need to work and they take money, you know, from your tax and whatnot. And it's like, okay, if you've got big corporations stepping into the pl- the role of the government, yeah. where you're then in debt debted to them, or you've signed some contract that says like, oh, if you get your degree, you're going to work for oh, them. Like then it, it traps people in their workforce. Right. And then they grow their monopoly because it's like the only way that you can get college educated without going into debt is by going into one of these big government programs, uh, sorry, these big corporation programs. Um, but if you go into the big corporation, so it's a revival yeah. of indentured labor. Yes. <laughs> Whoa, oh, we cracked is, it over here this morning. This it's a revival. It's a revival of indented labor. It's 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 bringing it's bringing back slavery, but in a different form. Yeah. Well, because like you know, maybe Who people knows? have made. I, I'm, 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 we are having fun speculating here this morning. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Your opinion zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. We're just brainstorming it. Yeah. Live on air and coming up with theories as to. What's behind this? What is behind this? Well, you've got to follow the money. Who wins? Yeah. Well, I'll, I guess we'll see in the future. You know, if if Domino's start bringing out um, a degree program, if yeah. Mac is start bringing out a degree program, like we'll we'll see what happens here. If, if all these big Somebody, corporations, somewhere, somewhere there is a return on investment. Yes, that's the biggest point. Like they can't just lose money. There is no way that Walmart and Target have a conscience. Yes. Like, they're interested in money mm-hmm. and they're interested in making money for their shareholders. Mm-hmm. And they have a business plan here. They have to. Like, it, it's, well, it's a similar thing. We see mm. a similar thing with the US Army, right? Yes. So, like, people, people make the case that, like, the, you know, the US Army target poorer people, um, like, and invest a lot into them to give them a career that they couldn't have outside of that. Yes. Like, you know, those who can't afford to go to college go into the army to, to live the American dream, right? So that they can have their house and their white picket fence. Because if they weren't doing that, then where would they be? You know, in casual employment and, you know, basically not making money. Um, but that's the thing. They call those who enter the U.S. Army, particularly if you become like a Navy SEAL or something, they call you the million-dollar man because they invest so much in training. Yes. But that's because they want to see a return on your investment. That's right. Like they, Absolutely. they're like – If they've invested a million dollars into you, then they're going to send you some really dangerous, dodgy places to do some really yeah. dangerous, dodgy things. And, and that's the thing. You can't go any other way about it. Like you can't just leave and be like, oh, no, okay, no, no. I've, I've done my training. I'm going to sit on a pension. Uh-huh. Like, no, nah, they're like, you, no, you they have own you. they own you because that's the only way you could have Until that life. Until they get their return on their investment. And I'm, I'm like, dude, that's – I'm for me anyway, I'm like – we're seeing the exact same thing here from these corporations. There's a, there's a plan here. There's a plan. Oh, it would be interesting, really interesting to follow this story and see where it goes. Mm. Uh, we should listen to a little bit of Adam Baker here this morning. Uh, this is Adam Baker with Build Your Kingdom. Take 
The Breakfast Show will be back with you live again on the 10th. Adam Baker there with Build Your Kingdom. You are listening to The Breakfast Show. All right, so uh, looking at some of the uh, stories coming through here this morning, we've got this interesting mm-hmm. one. I've got a couple of interesting stories coming out of the, out of the UK. Um, the BBC has recently su- suggested creating age-appropriate pornography. Oh, it's... Oh, okay, so this was uh, from a feminist women's program called Women's Hour. <laughs> Lawson, Lawson is just shaking his head over here. Uh, and the idea behind it is to teach respect and consent. Yeah, like... And, and they ask the question, what, what's the best way to inform teenagers about pornography? Oh. Uh, Lawson, you've been a teenager. You've been yes. a non-Christian teenager. Did you need to have teachers inform you about pornography? Yeah, I wish they had told me that it was bad. Like, you know, I, I was like a secular kid yeah. with secular friends. Like, like I'll, I'll say it. Like, man, my friend, he was 10. I was 8. Come over to my house. That's Got on the computer. He's like, oh, you lost him. Look at this. Like, that is literally, like, my first exposure. Yep. And again, we, you know, for both of us, he was actually a Jehovah's Witness, like, from a Jehovah's Witness family that was, like, pretty legit. Yep. Uh, but for me, I'm I'm just, like, some secular kid. Um, so the exposure was so low. But in terms of, dude, I, I really loved and appreciated that at my school, at least, like, we had sex ed. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and, and it was, like, when I was in year six. Like, they got us together and they told us what the deal is. But, but it's like, why, how does like child appropriate pornography solve that problem? Like, like, yeah, well, this is the thing. Do we need to inform teenagers? I mean, as you say, long before you were a teenager, you'd been exposed to pornography. We don't need yeah. to inform teenagers about pornography. We need to inform kids, children about, you know, Legos. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is the reality is that, so, because what you're doing here is a basically like, you're you're trying you're, you're you're trying to solve a problem by making the problem worse, essentially. Exactly. Let me give you a couple of stats, and then we'll uh, talk about this in more detail. In one year, that's in 2019. I don't have any stats more recent than that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, one single porn site, just one, received or oh, uh, uploaded. Oh no, had consumed from it 665. Thousand years worth of pornography was cons- consumed that year on one site alone. Okay, so that is more than one hundred times the age of our world, and that took place over forty-two trillion site visits. Dude, and that would have gone up exponentially during COVID. Absolutely, and that, so that was in two thousand and nineteen, right? Mm-hmm. So this, these are old stats. Now, the latest research indicates that twenty-two percent of Pornography is consumed by under ten-year-olds. That's that's wild. And yet, along with that, seventy-five percent of parents still somehow think that their children are not looking at pornography. And and, and I meet parents like this all the time. You, you hit them with the research, you hit with them the stats, and of course, your kids are looking at pornography. Yeah, that's the simple reality of the world. And what are you thinking? And they're like, no, 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 not our kids. No, 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 they're yeah, not, 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 no. I think it's because, like, you know, you can wake up. You can project your your morality into that situation, and and but it's, I've had I've had secular parents tell me, no, my teenagers don't look at pornography. Yeah, but the point is, is that like this isn't a case of whether the children are moral or not. Like, this is the point, is that, no, my kid's too good for that. Like, my kid's good. Like, why would he be? It's got nothing to do with good no, or bad. Right. It's curiosity Absolutely. and exposure. It's, it's being a kid. Yeah. Like, I remember what it was like being a teenager. We didn't have internet porn when I, when I was a teenager. It used to float around the school in dirty magazines. Yeah. And it wasn't, like, it wasn't like, you know, I was a Christian teenager for sure. Didn't stop me from looking at it. Yeah. Because you just don't know. That's it. And this is what we should mean. We should be enabling pornography use by creating child safe no. pornography. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? <laughs> when I was in Iran, I go to Iran, right? Yeah. Uh, I go to log on to Facebook. No Facebook. Go to log on to Instagram. No Instagram. You yeah. Know, it's, it's just blocked in that country. Like, okay, fair enough. That's all right. I can live without this for a week or so. That's mm-hmm. not the end of the world. Uh, now, if you can block Facebook, if you can block Instagram, if you can block sites for a country, we might not be able to eradicate pornography, but we can make it hard yeah. rather than making it just 
open slather, free for anybody, no restrictions, no blocks whatsoever it's, at all. We can at least we can at least have, make some legislation to make. Why are we so powerless as a country to do anything mm. about the problem of pornography? But this is the thing: is like that it's so highly used. It's almost like the ball's rolling too fast. Like that's how it feels. Like I'm like, well, the problem is that the legislators have no motivation. Yeah, to get rid that's of pornography right. because they are motivated to keep pornography. Yeah. And I think ultimately it puts a response. Well, someone should have been responsible, but now it kind of leaves the responsibility on. Now like, you've got the BBC calling for us to actually make children's pornography. That's just grooming, because that's yes. the sexualization of children. That's the intentional, uh-huh. intentional sexualization uh-huh. of children. I mean, I don't know whether um, it still exists, but back in the day they used to have. You know, you had to click on "I'm 18 years older" at least to access something like that, mm. um, and. But to actually create something that is for children where you don't even click a button or anything like that, that Yikes. is the intentional grooming and sexualization of children and exploitation of children. Mm-hmm. And I want to know why it is that we're so powerless to do anything about it. Well, anyway. I can't believe you brought this up. I'm so mad now. All right. I'm so angry. Good. That's, that's why I brought it up. It's terrible. <laughs> I, 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 got terrible. Another, I got another story about a trip. Uh, this is a better story. So this one's got a oh, okay. test. Okay, okay. Uh, so a street preacher has just um, oh, okay. been released in the UK. So uh, this particular... No, she. She went to jail. She was arrested and charged. She was accused of making homophobic and racist statements and calling for non-believers to be stabbed. Was she saying that? Okay, her name is Hazel Lewis. She was charged with um, all of these things, including uh, creating harassment, alarm and distress and for making a child cry. Mm-hmm. Now, she was arrested with this and she was charged with this. The only problem was she recorded the whole thing. Wow. And when they played the recording in court, what you find is that there is a member of the public who was persistently goading her to make homophobic statements and she was persistently uh, sidestepping and ignoring and not going there with those statements and absolutely refusing to engage with this particular individual all the way through until she finally says, quote, you are an advocate of Satan and... uh, uh, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Oh wow! Right, that was the worst thing that she said in the uh, in the whole experience. Uh, the police turned up, but the police were called, and uh, there was three witnesses who said, "Ah, oh, she was calling people to be stabbed. She was doing this, doing that, doing the other." They arrested her and charged her purely on hearsay, purely on a he said, she said situation. Wow. Mm. And, of course, when it came before the court, the uh, district judge, Julian Newton, said there's no case to answer, threw it out of court, should never have gone to court. Uh, She said the words were disagreed with and the words were unpleasant, but they were not harassment or harm or distress. And, yes, you could hear a child crying in the background, but children cry for a multitude of different (laughs) reasons. There was no evidence whatsoever at all that the child was crying because of what she was saying. But needless to say, she got punished by the system because this is what can often happen when you are still when you are innocent and found innocent, you still get punished by the system mm. because you got eighteen month court battle and a whole bunch of uh, court costs and legal costs, etc. Um, and so she is now suing the uh, the Metropolitan Police for wrongful arrest. Uh, for being charged on hearsay and for wasting public money and time, which will probably be upheld. But in the UK, street preaching has a long history, a very long history, going Mm. back hundreds of years with very, very strong legal precedents and protections. Yeah, wow. But they are increasingly being harassed. This is uh, Aaron Robinson with Our Great Saviour. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. 
Joining us on the phone this morning is Letitia Marino. Letitia, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to this. Okay, Letitia, we had your dad on the show earlier in the week and uh, telling his story about coming out from uh, Chile and coming to Australia. Uh, a fascinating story. He spent time in jail as a political prisoner uh, during mm-hmm. the Pinochet era uh, and then, you know, uh, finds the Lord and, you know, it was interesting when we got to that part of the story where, you know, he wanted to share his testimony of how he came to God. We we couldn't shut him up. He just had so much to say. <laughs> that sounds like dad. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He nearly, he, nearly, he, nearly, he nearly went right into the news. He was just like, I'm just going to share everything that Jesus has done for me. So it was fantastic. But your dad's story is only part of the story because we heard how your dad – you know, grew up in Chile, was you know involved in politics, uh, mm. spent some time, spent three years in jail, uh, came to Australia. But there's a whole other aspect of this story because your dad has a family, mm. you're part of that family, and you have a story to tell. Letitia, were you born in uh, Chile or in Australia? I was born in Australia, really quite local actually, in Newcastle. There you go. So you haven't... Uh, well, at the moment, you're not too far from home because you're up in Singleton now. Um, obviously, mm. you've, you've been to some different parts of Australia since then and lived and worked. Um, yeah. When you were born, when you were, when you were a child, was this before or after your parents had given their lives to, you know, make fully, you know, because your dad explained he, he grew up nominally, nominally uh, Roman Catholic, but it was very nominal. Um, sure. But mm. where, where do you come into the picture? Yeah, okay, great question. So I um, went to church um, as a child with my mum and brother, but we went to um, a church called the Assemblies of God. And so we would go to church on a Sunday, just the three of us, while Dad would go and play soccer. So he did his sports thing while we, the three of us, went to church um, on our own. So that's kind of how it was at home. Uh, we, mum was responsible for our faith journey and talking about God. Um, dad was really great dad, very kind and loving, but would never talk about anything to do with God. Right. Now, 
So you guys are going to to the AOG, but at some particular point, your dad uh, has has a workmate who's uh, reading the Great Controversy, the uh, El Gran Conflicto, and yes. uh, as a result of that, he gets a copy of this book and starts reading it himself. When this happens, how old would you you have, and of course there was your brother as well, but how old were, were you guys? Yeah, I was actually um, ten and a half, roughly at the time. So ten, ten and a half, when he started to read this book, and and everything started to change. You know, becoming vegetarian, kind of, um, you know, discovering all these new things. And yeah, I was I was only just a kid. With uh, what was your mum's response when your dad started taking an interest in spiritual things? Oh, look, on the one hand, she she was happy that he was, you know, wanting to learn about God and wanting to discover faith and and and, and that whole journey. However, um, the the closer he sort of got to or once he like discovered, oh, this everything I'm learning about, um, you know, and when we went to an Adventist church, because we, we did go to an Adventist church not long after he started to sort of read the Great Controversy, he started to read the Bible, um, and we got invited to a special program at an Adventist church, but it was a Spanish-speaking Adventist church, and um, and my mum wasn't totally sure about Adventism. She was She wanted my dad... And, and us as a family just to all go to the same church. But she was happy to sort of support um, where he was initially. Okay, so you're a ten-and-a-half-year-old. What's it like for you um, as, as, a, as a, a young girl? You've got um, your parents are sort of on two different spiritual journeys. I mean, your dad wasn't on any spiritual journey, and then, and then suddenly he is, but it's a different, it's a different journey than what your mum is on. What was going through your head? What was your experience like during that time? Yeah, um, well, for me, I it was a little bit of a grieving process because I had really loved um, the AOG church and I was used to the pastor there. I went to Sunday classes there. I knew um, all the all the people there, and I was just I'd grown up in the church, so um, everyone kind of saw me as. Yeah, just the little girl that they doted on and I was just as part of a family. And to leave that church, it kind of felt like leaving my family um, to go into this, explore this new this new church. I mean, I was still open because I would follow whatever my parents wanted to do, but it still felt a little bit like a grieving process to leave behind something that I really loved. Now, what about your brother? Is your brother older or younger, younger than you? And, and, and how did he respond? Yeah, he was um, three years older than me, um, and he had been coming to a point in his life where he was not sure about whether he wanted to keep coming to church, and in fact, he had sort of said, oh, I'm not sure if I want to keep going to church, and my mum would say to my dad, well, tell him that he needs to go to church, and my dad would say, you need to go to church, and then my brother said, well, if church is good for me, then church is good for you too. A very good argument. Very, very valid <laughs> argument. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so my dad um, started to feel a little bit challenged with that, and that was obviously prior to him um, really going into the great controversy and starting to read the Bible. So that was that was just a little bit beforehand. But yeah, um, once Dad started to come, or once we went to the Adventist church, my brother was still a little bit like, well probably a bit tentative and just sort of following where my parents were going. Sure, sure. Okay, coming back to you for a second then, um, at some particular point, well, is there a particular point, I should say, where you uh, intentionally gave your life to Jesus Christ or was this something that, you know, was a relationship with Jesus something that you'd always had having grown up, you know, with a Christian mum and going to church? Yeah, um, look, I would say it's it's both because um, growing up I always, saw my mum pray. Always, my mum always intentionally invested in our faith, and she was the first person to to show me what a relationship with God looked like. And so I, I did love um, love what I was learning and loved my experience with God. But certainly, once we started to 
um, get more grounded into the church. Like I said, after that first program that we went to, um, there was a student pastor there who said um, basically at the end of the program, is there anyone here who would like to study the Bible because we are having Bible studies in this person's home and I'd love to open that up to anyone. And so my parents started to to go to that and um, because my dad said, I want to learn more. And my mum thought, well, he learns about God, and once he discovers God, I'll take him to my church. And so there was that part. And at the same time as kids, my brother and I started to get Bible studies with the youth leader at the same time that my parents were studying with the student pastor. Right. So you guys all sort of start doing uh, midweek, in-home Bible studies, small group kind of thing at around yeah. about the same time as each other. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yes, and I and honestly, it was it was really eye opening to me because I was discovering things that I never knew about God before that. Like I had loved God, I had you know heard lots of things about Him, but I was starting to hear about different things that I didn't know that were in the Bible, and I started to think, "Wow, this is really exciting!" And so I, I started to look forward to. Um, every week when we'd be learning more and more about Jesus. Now, with the AOG church that you were going to before, was that an English church or was it a Spanish church? Did you move from like from an English-speaking church to a Spanish-speaking church? What was, what was um, that experience like? Yeah, it was actually Italian-Australian. So it was like there was a lot of Italian families, but they're all also um, English-speaking families. So it was classified as an international church, but it was mostly Italians and Australians there. Oh, wow. So did you learn to speak Italian while you were there as well? Uh, no, I just enjoyed the culture and then uh, and then transitioned to Spanish, which was nice because I'd grown up speaking Spanish at home, um, but this was the first, yeah, Spanish-speaking church I'd, I'd gone to. Yeah, wow, amazing. Now, at some particular point, uh, you decided that you were going to dedicate your life in service to God. How did that come yeah. about? Yeah, well, there's, there's a big sort of space between, you know, my coming into the church, getting Bible studies, and eventually being baptised and so forth. So I actually wanted to be baptised straight after receiving Bible studies at 10. And my parents said, hang on a minute, um, make sure that you're a little bit older, really understand what you're committing to, and then get baptised. So I kind of wandered in the church, like I was always there, always involved, but my relationship with God sort of in the teenage years was a little bit casual. Like I, I loved going to church, but during the week I just had other priorities and God was somewhere there, but not, not the top shelf priority. And um, it wasn't until I was about 21 when I started to, um, we had a new pastor in the church who was really just preaching really fervently, um, I guess, about, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and really making that a priority in everything that he was preaching. And so to me, that kind of just reawakened, I guess, yeah, uh, another love for God and going, wow, this is a really personal message. And somehow I had forgotten that, but now it's kind of come back to me as to why I'm here and why I believe in Jesus and why he believes in me and wants a relationship with me. So from that point, I started to serve God in so many different ways. I started to give Bible studies and I hadn't been taught how to give Bible studies. I started to preach and I just kind of volunteered and, and thought, I don't know how to preach a sermon, but I'm going to look up online how to structure a sermon. And I started to get involved in lots of different ways, running prayer groups, um, teaching, uh, getting involved in evangelism. And people started to say to me, Letitia, have you thought about studying and preparing for ministry? And I was like, whoa, um, okay, this is an interesting conversation. Um, and I kept hearing it in different places. And I, I knew I wanted to serve God, but I wasn't sure exactly how that looked like. So um, I kept hearing that message and I just remember saying to my parents, look, 
I believe that God is calling me to full-time ministry, whether that's Bible work or missionary work or something. And I, I've been doing teaching because that's what I, that was my childhood dream. And I thought that was what I was meant to be doing. But I believe that God is calling me to share his word. And their response was, well, you've been studying teaching. Why don't you finish your degree, work for a few years, and then see if God is still calling you to do this? Yeah, wise words. Yeah, exactly. And so that's exactly what I did. I literally did that. I finished my degree. I worked for three years as as a teacher. And during that time, I had more people say to me, have you thought about preparing for ministry? And in fact, at one point, I was I was there in my home church with my parents and a visiting um, student pastor had been preaching and he'd heard something, a few things that I had said in church. And at the end of the sermon, he said to me, um, you have a gift. And I turned around because I thought, is he speaking to me or is he speaking to somebody else? And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, you have a gift. Have you thought about um, preparing for ministry? And this is someone that I didn't know. I'd never seen. I'd never heard. And, and then that kind of started a conversation. And like I said, more and more people started to say to me, have you thought about preparing to be a pastor and, and studying? So it just got to that point where, um, throughout those years, I kept hearing it. By the time I'd, I'd done three years in teaching, I knew that something was really missing and that I was meant to be doing ministry. And so I finished those three years, came back to my parents. I said, I've asked, I've, I've done what you've asked. You said to me, you know, finish your degree, work for a few years, and then see if God is still calling you. I did exactly that. I've done what you've asked. And they said, well, we taught you to love God, so we can't tell you now not to serve him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Amen. And of course, uh, we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to finish up, Leticia. But that's a wonderful story. But I just wanted to uh, mention that right now, of course, you're pastoring the uh, Singleton and Musselbrook churches, and that sort of cuts a, a longer story short. But uh, we're just super thankful to have you ministering in the local area. Thank, Thank you for joining you us this morning. Much. Okay. Thank you. All right. This is Josh White with I Love My God. I love my God but with no love of mine For I have none to give I love thee Lord but all the love is thine For by thy life I live And I am as nothing I rejoice to be Emptied and swallowed up Thou Lord alone art all thy children need And there is none beside From thee the streams of blessedness proceed In thee the blessed abide Fountain of life And all abounding grace Our source, center and our dwelling
FM has a brand new live show each weekday morning straight after the breakfast show called Tassie Encounters. Tune in for fascinating discussions of history, science, faith and personal encounters with Jesus. Tassie Encounters, live every weekday straight after the breakfast show on Faith FM. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Hey there, compadres. This is Robbie Morgan. And if you'd like to have a more vibrant walk with God, then join me each week on Thursday afternoons for Real Faith. We'll be digging deep into the scriptures and having some fun with our weekly interactive discussions. I'd love you to be there, so make sure to tune in. Check Faith FM program for showtimes, 3.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Terms and conditions apply. Sickness of sin in your soul and my faith. 